Hello and welcome to Straight Talk, Supply Chain Insights, the podcast for your supply chain leader who is on the go and wants to be in the know. And now, your host, Laura Sassiri. Welcome to Straight Talk with Supply Chain Insights. My name is Laura Sassiri, and this podcast is designed for the supply chain leader who's on the go but wants to be in the know. Today I want to share some insights on some research we've recently completed on sales and operations planning and inventory. It's called the March of the Lemmings. I don't know if you've ever seen the videos of the lemmings that are flying into the Atlantic Ocean and dying. Essentially a lemming is a type of mole or belongs to the rat species and they live in the Arctic tundra and they have populations that rise and fall about every four years. And they're a very interesting creature because when the populations get to be very high, they have to do mass migrations and they swim to other places. And part of what they do is they jump into the ocean and die. So in business, there's a metaphor about don't be a lemon. And I think that what we have in supply chain right now is the march of the lemming, where we've got people that have beliefs and they're following beliefs, and those beliefs aren't necessarily driving value. So let's start in the beginning. You know, sales and operations planning is one of the most important processes to focus on because it helps to align cross-functionally and translate the supply chain strategy into business strategy. And the mission is not for supply chain as a function within the back office focused on costs, but supply chain and a broader definition to focus on value from the customer's customer to the supplier's supplier. And that is a big step to move from cost to value and define the mission of the supply chain to be outside in. This important step of supply chain sales and operations planning where we report to the profit center manager and we're balancing the S, our go-to-market strategies, with the OP or operation strategies and aligning to basically deliver on the business strategy. It should report to the profit center manager and is often run by supply chain leaders because they have modeling capabilities, but should never be owned by the supply chain, should be owned by the profit center manager and the supporting teams for that profit center manager. So in the research that I just published, I found that most companies are going backwards in effectiveness over the last three years, not actually driving improvement. So if you look at the research, we see that there's almost a 50% reduction in effectiveness in sales and operations planning. Now, we want to know why. And so in the research, we start to look at, was it technology? Nope, not technology. Was it the consultant used? Nope, not the consultant used. What we find in the research is between the companies that consider their SNOP to be extremely effective versus those that do not feel that it's effective is a difference in how they view the budget and how they deal with the use of financial data. 
Now, this is important because this many of the CIOs now report to the finance team, and it's important to engage the finance team to help them to understand the intricacies of shifts in mix or product type, to understand bottlenecks, to understand constraints, and to understand what a feasible plan means. What I'm seeing with the movement of the CIO to the CFO is many people erroneously think that IBP or integrated business planning just means that we're gonna tightly connect financial data to supply chain data. And that just can't work because an item's not an item, an order's not an order, a customer's not a customer, and capacity's not capacity. So what we have to do is look at what we're trying to do in the budget in terms of operating margin or inventory turns and what we're trying to do in growth strategies and look at the management of the supply chain to optimize what we can do for mix, what we can do for manufacturing strategies and to be able to maximize opportunity and minimize risk while driving the constraints around cost and inventory turns and return on invested capital consistent with the business strategy. That is why SNOP should report to the profit center manager, not to a line leader in supply chain or a line leader in commercial teams. So when we think about the budget we've got to think about the fact that the budget is obsolete when it's first produced and we've got to translate the intent or the principles that went into the budget process into the evolution of strategy because markets change, competitors change, product mix changes, and SNOP is the process to translate those assumptions and goals into action. Now, the other thing I learned in this research is only 50% of companies are actively taking what they do in SNOP planning into execution. And this is a gap for most companies. It isn't sufficient just to plan. Instead, what we've got to do is translate that planning into action. Organizations are complex. They've got seven SNOP processes on average, and they've got five to seven different technologies that they're used to, you know, optimize the plans. So when we think about the management of SNOP, we've got to think about governance. How should companies make decisions? Should it be regional? Should it be a product division? Should it be global? And how does that tie to the P&L structure? Because this gives us the roadmap for technology rollout. So in the blog post, I tell some stories. One story is of a large chemical company that had 27 different divisions that each had different characteristics. And they embarked on an engagement with a consultant that worked with each of the regional divisions to come up with an SNOP process that met the business need. Sounds right, but what happened was each of the 27 divisions defined the granularity of planning and the hierarchies of planning to be slightly different. 
And as a result, one region was weekly forecasting, the other was daily forecasting, another one was quarterly forecasting, the hierarchies were different, the customer definitions were different. So the ability to roll up the forecast and look at the quarter or to look at monthly results just wasn't possible. And in a similar vein, they could not translate the demand across divisions because they were vertically integrated. And as we look at this, they weren't able to really work on integrated inventory strategies across the divisions either. So the governance should really drive how companies need to make decisions. And it needs to be set up so that the regional power can be preserved, but there can be the ability to roll up and have visibility for the large organization for making planning decisions. Another company that I worked with had a different kind of issue. They spent $5.4 million to implement Lagility, one of the longest implementations I've ever seen of Lagility. Lagility is a technology that's fairly easy to implement, best suited for apparel and specialty retail. But this was a chemical company that was deploying Lagility, and they had hired a large system integrator. And those individuals from the system integrator had strong consumer packaged goods experience. So what happened in this chemical company, they implemented sales and operations planning without really focusing on a material balance. And in chemical industries, material balance is the core of that model. It is driven by yield, it's driven by cracking, you know, taking one process form of a item and moving it through distillation columns, mixing into another form, which gives us grades. And so it's a very different modeling than mix and pack for consumer goods, where you're basically mixing something with not a lot of processing into a package. So as a result, without a material balance, this particular company could not actually drive the translation of a forecast for a finished good into manufacturing supply. And $5.4 million later, they figured that out. So from these two stories, what I want you to take away is that an important piece of sales and operations planning is enlightened leadership. It's the ability to understand the implication of rhythms and cycles, mix, bottleneck constraints on the supply chain, and the ability to align on how to maximize opportunity and minimize risk. It's a very different discussion than what I see most companies having, which is a very functional discussion of, let me ask sales what they're gonna sell, let me ask finance what they're gonna budget, let me put those numbers into a spreadsheet, you know, crank them up and look at how can the supply chain best serve that. Instead, when companies are really good at sales and operations planning, they look at how can they maximize the opportunity with sales in terms of new product launch, in terms of events, in terms of you know go-to-market strategy. And they work with finance to understand form and function of inventory, inventory strategies, and help finance to understand the implication of mix and product changes. 
This type of collaboration, where we're just not taking numbers, but instead we're taking the insights of collaboration around the numbers as it ties to strategy and aligning on the business plan. Very different processes. And one of the things that bothers me is that right now we have a push in the industry for connected supply chains, which assumes that I'm going to take data directly out of CRM, directly out of ERP and finance and push it into supply chain planning, which is sort of like supply chain planning, taking orders and crank it through and I'm going to have a good plan. That's not bi-directional and it doesn't help to really maximize opportunity and minimize risk. And it's for that reason, I think we're going backwards because we focused on collaborative sales planning, tight integration of data without adequate modeling, and only one-third of companies have what-if analysis to help people to understand the constraints of the supply chain. So those are two stories. The other story I tell in my blog is a large food manufacturer that is a well-known brand, fairly insular as an organization, and they had 14 instances of JDA. Each of the instances of JDA for sales and operations planning were customized at a local level to meet the business needs. And you might say, well, isn't that good, Laura? And it could be if you follow the basic principles. One, a sales and operations planning technology should be set up to improve forecasting and improve modeling. And to do that, we need to measure forecast value add, and we need to measure error reduction, and we need to make sure that the model is able to backcast. Now, backcasting requires us to take two to three years of history, plug it into a model to be able to look at the current year. So in this case, maybe I would take the first six months of 2019, and I would take 2018, 2017, 2016 history. So those three years of history, 2016, 17, and 18, to be able to say, can this engine forecast with accuracy what was sold in 2019? Going through that iteration by demand flow, demand flow being high volume, very predictable, lumpy demand, promoted demand helps us to be able to ensure that our forecasting engines are able to model the environment. And in this particular case of the company that had implemented 14 implementations of JDA, they were all out of current licensing maintenance, so they were old, but they had never been tested. They weren't measuring forecast value add. And what I found was that the combination of poor technology implementation and a lack of understanding of how to measure forecast error actually degraded the forecast by 33%. Without any forecasting, the error was 80%. Just looking at, you know, what I shipped last month. But with the bad implementation and the lack of aligned processes, they added 30% to the 80%, not actually driving improvement, which has tremendous implications on inventory. So, you know, you might say, well, how do you fix that? Well, the first thing you've got to fix is enlightened leadership. 
We've got to help people with what does backcasting mean? What does forecast value add mean? How do I measure error? Because this team said, well, we're doing well, Laura. You know, if I take the cases shipped at the highest level of the hierarchy to the cases forecast, you know, we've got a 2% error. And I'm like, that's meaningless, right? We've got to really look at mix and we've got to look at the impact on capacity because this company had a 30% return on invested capital, very high utilization of assets. So enlightened leadership, measurement, governance, and making sure that we have feasible plans. All of that is driving us, I think, for the degradation of effectiveness in sales and operations planning. The other thing that I think we see is that people have focused a lot on safety stock, but not form and function of inventory. So I also shared some information that shows that Every industry carries more days of inventory today than they did prior to the recession of 2007. It is a mistake to think that we have implemented technologies and processes that have reduced inventory. Now, part of it is the fact that our businesses are more complex. We have longer tails of the supply chain, more products. Second part is that supply chains are more global, so we carry more in-transit stock. The third part is that we've had turnover of people, and so I think we're struggling right now to ramp up planners and leadership teams to understand supply chain. Fourth is that I don't think we're doing enough around form and function of inventory at a strategy level. Inventory is the most important buffer in the supply chain. And most people that have gone through lean training or perhaps uh, believe that supply chain is waste don't really understand that when we're heavily utilized in manufacturing and we don't have a lot of capacity, Manufacturing no longer becomes the buffer. Inventory is the most important buffer. And we must decide in what form do we store inventory? Is that a raw material, a semi-finished good, or a finished good? And is it cycle stock, in-transit stock, seasonal stock, the type of inventory? So when I map form and function of inventory to business strategy, I get a more holistic view of inventory and I can better manage inventories. So governance, enlightened leadership, feasible plans, and form and function of inventory. I think all of this has contributed to the fact that we have SNOP processes that are less effective than we did three years ago. So how do you get started? Well, I think the first thing is change management and education. Make sure that everyone understands that the supply chain is a complex nonlinear system with bottlenecks and constraints, and the higher the asset utilization of manufacturing, the more important it is for companies to plan. When companies are reactive, they'll actually show great degradation of SNOP. When they're focused on the important and they have the ability to plan and model, they'll drive the biggest improvement. So one, education. Two is clarity of supply chain excellence. What is the role of the supply chain? You know, the traditional supply chain with the back office was all about cost. 
But today's enlightened supply chain leader is about driving value. And that's an important discussion of what is value? Is it the combination of growth and operating margin? Is it price to tangible book? Is it market capitalization? Define what it means for you. Get out of the cost management trap. Become a much more strategic partner and build a modeling framework that allows people to see the trade-offs of bottlenecks, constraints, choices, and make the choices conscious. So when you're thinking about sales and operations planning, I want you to focus on the ampersand of the and. And when you do, I want you to think about S is not about asking sales, because if I'm going to ask sales what they're going to sell, I'm going to have the biggest bias and error. But S is your go-to-market strategies. And the ampersand is all about inventory strategies and how you're going to design the supply chain to actualize performance and mitigate risk. And the OP is all about source, make, and deliver together. It sets the framework for the trade-offs of source, make, and deliver together. So this is Laura Ciceri. The research that we've just completed is on my blog, supplychainshaman.com, and it will be in a report that we'll publish by the end of the month. And I welcome you to drive questions and start a different discussion because 99% of supply chain leaders are stuck. Until next time, I hope you've enjoyed the podcast. Mm-hmm.